0: Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey, the next time you're in the Garden State, and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The Jay Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at FilmFreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. 30 years ago, I stood in front of a comic shop advertising the death of Superman in its window display. That moment outside Heroes World set me on a path, a lifelong fan journey leading directly from that tattered red cape to this podcast. Now... Together, we mine Superman's vast 85-year mythology by examining, discovering, and reconsidering the stories that have shaped the last son of Krypton. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss the anthology miniseries Superman Red and Blue is returning guest, Superman cosplayer Daniel Sanchez. Welcome back.
1: Thank you. And also, I'm not only uh, a Superman cosplayer, but now you and I are Daily Planet contributor buddies. So uh, we have we have that going for us, which is nice.
0: Yes. And it's been great to see your bylines at dailyplanetdc.com. And I encourage everyone to check out the site generally and your articles in particular. And there's at least one story, at least one story in this anthology that I think probably jumped out at you and we'll talk about it. but. If if I look a little uh, a little puffy or anything like that, I'm not going to lie. I did my reading right before we we sat down to record. I was a little a little delinquent in my homework, and and there were some tears as I was reading some of these stories. I found this mm-hmm. miniseries to be I know you didn't know where I was going with that, but I I found it to be so emotionally resonant. And there were a number of stories, and you and the audience can probably guess which ones in particular spoke to me based on everything I've talked about on this podcast, but. Man, there were some that were just so moving, and I'm not ashamed to admit I was, I was sitting there, and I, tears coming down my face. So I'm coming into this episode, I don't want to say raw with emotion, but I, I was very moved reading this.
1: Uh, let me tell you that I did on even my fourth reading, because uh, I have them. I've had them since they came out. Um, these are not my only copies. I have variant cover versions as well. But when this series first came out, I had the puffy eyes. And I think you and I share probably, and we'll get into it, I think we'll agree on which ones reach deep, deep into us. Um, But they're just that good. And it's a testament to what they are that they still invoke that. So I cannot wait to dig into these with you.
0: Yeah, just to kind of lay this out for the audience, in case anyone's unfamiliar, this is relatively recent, so it's possible that, you know, maybe people missed the boat on this. I did initially, and thankfully now I've remedied that, but this was a six-issue miniseries published by DC in 2021, six 40-page issues, each comprised of five eight-page eight, page stories, essentially, uh, by a host of creative teams, and the hook, you know, kind of leaning into the title of Red and Blue is that it's only colored in in red and blue and there's some black and white stories and things like that. But uh, again, they're just these really beautiful, soulful, uh, slice of life stories that I think are just different than what you typically get in the regular Superman books. And not to, not to knock that, but this was really a very different flavor and had a different objective. And like I said, I really kind of missed the boat when this was originally published. I guess I had very recently started this podcast, but I was still, you know, it's taken me a little while to kind of like get back into the swing. Like now I track what's coming out a lot more closely, even if I'm not reading it as it's coming out, it's kind of on the list covered down the line. This was still early enough where it wasn't totally, totally on my radar. And I have to give a shout out to Sean Hendricks from Fat Moose Comics. They're one of our sponsors and he's a great buddy. And he sent me all six issues. This is probably a couple of years ago now at this point. And I was so grateful to get them. And I looked at them like, I can't wait to read these. And sad to say, I didn't crack them open until now. And I regret not reading them sooner. But I'm so glad that I finally did. And that I have you here to, to talk about it with. So now for you, I take it was a different experience. You were reading these. Uh, you said this was your fourth time through.
1: Uh, that's probably right. But yeah, I I read them when they first came out. Um, and there were... Multiple times, so it's a six-issue series, and each issue has roughly five stories in it. And the beyond the formatting of they're told in limited color, um, each creative team gets eight pages, and that is the structure. And as a as a writer myself, I I was really fascinated to see like what people can do with that forced structure, because it brings creativity out of you when you have a forced structure. Mozart did his work in, in the classical structure, which was the most confining of all the musical periods, and we got Mozart. So that was what drew me in, was that was the hook of, oh, I want to see what these writers can do with that. But wow, what they did with eight pages sometimes, out of the six issues, easily four of them, there were times where I, I said, I got to set this book aside and just think about what just happened and what I just felt and, and what I'm going to be thinking about probably for days. I, I can't go to the next story. I have to set it down. And I had that experience when you first asked me to join on this, uh, on this episode about a month ago, and I just burned through all six and I thought, I'm not going to make any notes. I'm just going to read And the same thing happened. I got to certain ones and I'm like, I know this, I know which one this is. It's like when you're about to watch, it's a wonderful life. Like I know what's going to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to read this one. And at the end, like, Oh, it got me. It got me again. And so not until yesterday and today did I read through to make my notes, but it is, it is, it is a collection of vignette stories, which gives the authors and, 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 And artists, and sometimes they're the same, like Matt Wagner did one. And we'll get to that. Um, But it gives them this opportunity to tell these small pocket stories that might not have been accepted in in part of a 22-page regular continuity storyline with its editorial goals, et cetera. But here's this opportunity to go back to this moment on the Kent farm or to hear the thoughts of a little boy as there's a battle going on in Metropolis. And these are gold. They're just amazing. So um, it is, it is never, it is never a burden to have somebody want to uh, say, Hey, you want to crack those open? So Thank you for, for thinking of me. I'm so glad that, that this worked out because I could not be happier to talk about these, especially since you're new. We're going to have such fun.
0: Yeah, no, I thought you would be such a perfect fit for this, and I'm so glad that you were keen to do it. And I echo everything you said. I, I, yes, I, re- I regret that I procrastinated the homework so much that I wasn't able to sit with these issues for as long as I would have wanted to, not that I rocketed through them, uh, I, I did yeah. take my time. But there, I definitely came to to the end of this reading experience knowing that this is something I will go back to. I think this was you, one of those were- one of those stories that will sort of always be in the rotation for me. I might not read uh, every every story from every issue, but there are ones in particular that I know I'll always go back to. And yeah, the eight page format. Lends itself it's just a different rhythm, and the book itself just has a different mandate, right? So like we were saying, this isn't this isn't about you know con, you know constructing a, a six issue long narrative that furthers the Superman mythology or ties into an event or anything like that. These are really really some beautiful vignettes, like you said that get at the heart of the character, and it's one of those things where you know, if you had told me oh, you'll you'll be so moved by a story about a waitress who works at the diner in Smallville who, who is there serving the Kent family, uh, you know, across generations, I would have said, oh, okay, like that sounds kind of interesting. And you read it and it's, it's just immensely moving. So, uh, you know, those are the, those are the kinds of stories that you get. And I mean, I, I my sense, I, I believe this was well-received at the time. I know they put out a hardcover. I've, you know, I've, I've seen it on shelves. So I, you know, it's out there and everything, but if, if anyone, you know, if anyone's listening to this and you kind of miss the boat on it, or you wrote it off because maybe it's not, you know, it has no bearing on the ongoing continuity or anything like that, please go back because it's it's well worth the read and I think it may, will make you feel something.
1: Yeah, I, I highly recommend it. And, you know, I, I remember when Batman Black and White came out, what, a decade ago. And I jumped into that for the same reason. And every now and then there were some that may not have been your cup of tea, but then every now and then there were some where, again, those constraints just brought out this other you know, vein of gold in the, in the, uh, in the search for gold. Um, but one of the things that came out to me both times is these short stories will introduce to you creative teams that you may not have encountered before. You may realize this story I just read, who the heck wrote that? Who is this writer? And it will lead you on this path. It's this introduction to, um, talent, that you're well worth um, exposing yourself to this. If if nothing else, just because if if you love the genre and you love talent, um, you should do this.
0: No, that's a great point. It, it's a it's a great way for readers to meet new creators and also for the creators to have an opportunity to tell a Superman story where some of them might not have an opportunity otherwise. There's only so much real estate. I mean, thankfully now, as we've been talking about on the podcast, we're we're in a better space as Superman fans. We have multiple Superman titles. We have Steel and Superboy miniseries. The line is finally expanding uh, for the first time in a while. But, you know, mm-hmm. for a good long stretch, you really just had a couple of books and you know, not everyone's going to get a, get a bite at the apple, and so to have an opportunity, even if it's only eight pages, you bring in different voices, different takes on the character. I mean, uh, you, you know, reading some of these stories, the one, the one, one of the ones that really comes to mind is the one with uh, Charlie, the man in Metropolis who's been saved by Superman so many times, and uh, they've actually struck up a friendship, and they've had conversations after battles, and they've they've attempted having lunch a few times, and he goes on Cat Grant's Show to talk about all of this, and as he's recounting and we, you know, we see it unfolding and, you know, you see Superman in the the black suit that he wore after he returned from the dead. You see him as electric red Superman. And I'm reading it. I'm like, oh, you know, this is clearly the, you know, <laughs> this is someone involved with this, has a lot of affinity for the period of time where I grew up as a reader. And so, you know, mm-hmm. you see things like that and you see what, you know, what, what the creators are bringing to it, what they've drawn inspiration from. And, and it's a beautiful thing. Now, I'm pretty flexible as, as far as how we structure this conversation. I don't necessarily feel we need to be confined to going issue by issue, though I'm certainly happy to do that if you prefer. I think my instinct was to, as a starting point, what what were the, let's say, two or three stories that, and we'll talk about more than those, but like what were the two or three that really spoke to you the most? I think I can guess, but I want to uh, toss it to you.
1: <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, so I made my notes issue by issue just in case that's the way you wanted to go. But yes, there were some standouts Um, I, I gotta say that one of them was the crypto story.
0: Yep. That was on my list for you. All right. One for one.
1: (laughs) Because, uh, in, in that story, it's, it's Clark at a young age on the farm where I think as, as little boys, you know, we we all kind of remember that period where you're just starting to keep to yourself. You are just starting to be a little quiet. Um, and there's a great scene where, Jonathan and Martha are in the dishes and they've learned to whisper because Clark can hear them. And Jonathan's talking about how he's a little concerned about, about young Clark. And Martha just says, leave him be. And then there's another scene later where Jonathan expresses another concern and Martha just says, leave him be. And beyond the fact that crypto is in the story, I am such a sucker for Ma and pa Kent tales. And, and those moments... Where you see their worldview and, and, you know, it's a cliche to say, well, you know, Superman has these Midwestern values, but it's moments like that. It's moments where Martha's quiet, confident love that where she's just, and, and the, that quaint Midwest colloquialism of you only say as many words as are necessary and just to have Ma doing dishes, and she just says, leave him be. Oh, my God. I just, like, I just, did, I never wanted to leave that world. And the illustrations were fantastic. But that was one that was like just this warm blanket. And I would have stayed there for as many stories of that as, as there could be. Um, another one same vein, and and I'm not shy to admit it, was uh, Clark's first day of kindergarten. Yes. Which was a separate story, lest, lest the audience think that, that they're the same. But in that story, Clark's not too worried about going to kindergarten. It's Jonathan and Martha that are kind of wondering, have we taught him enough? Have we prepared him enough? And they have to decide, we have done what we can. And... Clark's a little nervous about making friends. And so Jonathan says, well, you know, if you tell him jokes, you can win them over. And Clark believes it and says, okay, I'm going to try it. And it's so sweet because he goes to the, to the kindergarten class and he's reminding himself how to behave. And he tells himself like, don't start floating up <laughs> and don't run too fast. And don't let your eyes get all red and angry. And you think he's a five year old boy. And in fact, there's a, there's a moment where Martha is thinking to her, herself, he's only five. And Jonathan is thinking, he's already five. And again, it shows that wonderful dynamic, this small farm dynamic of how they, they think, you know, about Clark. But the, the reason I love this story is he does well. He makes friends and he's so happy about it. And then gradually he notices that there's a little girl there who isn't making friends and isn't doing so well. And so he goes home and he talks to Jonathan and Martha about it. And they give him this wonderful advice where they say, Clark, you know, it's not enough to see a problem and be bothered by it. If, if you see a situation that is a problem especially if it affects or hurts another person you have to think of yourself as the solution to that problem and then they just let him think about that you know they sort of kissed him goodnight and they let him they let him have his own thoughts which again as far as small town parenting is amazing and so you see the next day he goes to school and he doesn't know how he's going to accomplish this but he knows he wants to help this girl and he realizes in his inner monologue that those jokes that he tells were not his own. He didn't invent them. Pa told him that. And some of the other advice that he got was from Ma. So he realizes people helped me do well. I want to help her do well. So when you know the grown Superman that he becomes and you read this story of five-year-old Clark at kindergarten and how he's already taking in these lessons, then he finds a way using uh, a shared love of horses to bond with this girl. And they play with these little plastic horses and the other kids look over and they say, well, what, do you, what are they doing? And they like horses too. And that's the, that's the door. That's how he brings, he brings the, the little girl into the friendship circle. Um, and he's so happy when he goes home. He's, he's that kid who just can't wait to jump off the bus and tell mom and pa it worked. It worked. And then later they have a party and all the kids come, including that girl. And I, I believe there's a line in there somewhere where he, he thinks, you know, it's not that mom and pa gave him all the answers, but they taught him the lesson. And there is, there is no limit to the number of times I could read that story or, or learn something new. And that is, that is one that I set aside. And I thought not because I'm crying, although I, probably am a little but i just want to i just want to think about that and i just want to let that story help me be better
0: yeah no well said I, I loved hearing you lay out both of those stories and both of those really resonated with me as well uh especially little clark going off to kindergarten our son just finished his first year of preschool so we have another year before kindergarten but even just sending him to that first year of preschool uh, you know a lot of those same emotions where you know, you're sending him out. And it's so funny because recently, you know, again, obviously every day we're dropping him off and picking him up, but we're, it's, it's limited in terms of what we're seeing. And, uh, mm-hmm. around Easter time, they did an Easter egg hunt and the parents got to go. And so, you know, we got to watch him. They like really watch him in, in this environment here and interacting with his classmates and everything. And it was just this weird thing of like, they have their own world, like their own little ecosystem and their own dynamics. And as much as you know we've been watching this kid like a hawk and we know everything he does but it's like you know he's there at school and like he's got his own little world and even just letting go of that little bit like it you know it took a minute to get used to and of course we did and it's been a wonderful routine and and and, and great for for everybody but it, you know it was definitely like at the outset it's it was it was so daunting the idea of just like dropping him off and leaving him there and that's not even taking into account what the Kents had to deal with as far as uh, this little boy with powers and what I loved, I, I agree with everything you said about about the little girl, that line about it's not enough to be bothered. And that's one that's going to sit with me for a while because that hit that stopped me in my tracks too. And I was like, that's a magnificent point and something that all of us, myself included, probably need to keep in mind, right? It's, you know, it's one thing to make note of something that might not be right. But well, like we say at the end of every podcast, it's about what you do uh, to whatever extent you're able to in whatever form that takes. And I think it would have been so easy in this story for for it to have been Clark being the outsider in the classroom. Right. That would have been the easier mm-hmm. version of the story. And it would have tracked and it would have been fine. But the fact that, like you said, like he's off and running, he's making the friends, and he sees this other girl. And in some ways, I mean, they're they're they're, you know, it's certainly difficult if you're if you're the one left out, but it puts him in such a tricky spot because he's achieved socially a lot in this class in a short amount of time. And now he's running the risk of jeopardizing this. And, you know, we're talking a little kid. I mean, grown people can't navigate this, let alone a a little boy. And so the courage that it takes to reach out to someone who the rest of the class has kind of discounted and bring them in and in so doing, set the example for others to follow. And the other kids do follow it. Uh, It is wonderful. And, you know, thematically ties in with some of these other stories as well, where you see... Uh, you know, I, again, in terms of what, how Clark is inspired by other people, how he inspires them, how he's helped by a number of people in these various other stories. uh, it, It's a beautiful thing. But yeah, th- those stories definitely stood out to me too.
1: Yeah. And, you know, in, in being, being a parent, um, once, once you experience that life journey, you read these stories differently because I know your Smallville journey, you've talked many times about how you perceive it from different, you know, <laughs> Um, characters, points of view. Um, But this brought me back to my first child's first day of kindergarten when as a parent, you're hoping that just like Jonathan, that you've prepared them enough. And I vividly remember we were in the car and my little girl looked at me and she said, what if I don't make friends? And I said, you know what? I bet that they're is at least one other little girl who feels just like you. And she may even be more scared than you. So let's do this. When you get to school, look around and see if you can find another little girl who looks even more scared than you. And will you go over and make her feel better? And she goes, okay, I think I can do that. I picked her up from school. She got in the car. She had this huge smile. And she said, dad, I made so many friends. And this This story did a validating thing for me because by no means do I think that I have the wisdom of Pa Kent, but it made me feel like on that day, I sort of summoned some Pa Kent. I said the right thing in the right moment when it mattered. And I got to see that instilled. And, you know, you only hope as a parent that you have some of those moments But when I read the story, like, now she's grown and she's doing, she's doing fantastically. And it's not often that I think about kindergarten, but I read this story, like, literally today, again, and whoosh, did it take me back. Um, It, it was, um, it was so valuable in that. But like you're saying, and I'm sure that this probably is one of the stories we're about to get to, is you contrast that with Jonathan before he has that confidence um there is a story where jonathan goes to church because he's not confident and he's questioning his ability to be a parent to this adoptive child and by the way i was surprised in the story it was a catholic church for some reason i always assumed otherwise they just struck me as as baptist in the movies and in some of the prior books
0: yeah. I mean, we um, had a, I had an actual minister on the show when we covered for tomorrow and he, he gave his, his assessment of what, of what faith he would imagine the Kents <laughs> would have followed. And, uh, yeah, I, off the top of my head, I forget exactly which denomination he landed on, but yeah, I, that, that, that was surprising, but, uh, you know, certainly worked for what, what, the uh, what they were pulling out of it.
1: Yeah. Um, but as far as the ones that made me cry, this was the, this was the one that made me cry. Um, That when the the priest gave him that advice of just tell them that you love them, just tell them that you're proud of them, just tell them that they're special. And Jonathan went home and you see these scenes of from the time Clark is in a crib before he can understand what it means. Jonathan looks over the crib and says, you are special. And then Clark grows a little bit more and he does something out on the farm and Jonathan says, I'm proud of you. And then Clark grows up a little bit more and he does something and Jonathan says, I love you. And it continues throughout Clark's life. And there comes the panel where Clark is standing in front of Jonathan's grave and still in the mental narration. And I'm, I'm probably gonna get a little choked up, but still in that mental narration, you hear, I'm proud of you. And that was one where I had to just stop for a second because the the impact of that moment means that Clark still feels it from beyond the grave. He still feels his father's love. And what a testament to the way a father has raised a son, that his son still feels it. And then Clark now has to find his own way without Jonathan telling him that every day and hugging him. And what he chooses to do is to to turn and give that. And you see him perform a rescue, and he says, you're special. And then he is with a group of children that he's just saved, and he says, I'm proud of you. And you see him do that. And in, in the final panel, he is floating in space looking down at the earth and it's so beautifully drawn you just you feel the way he's just forgetting any other thing except this one thought and he looks at this this big beautiful world and in this this great drawing or just the simple words as he looks at the whole earth i love you like what what can you even say about that or add to that besides just let it be the the gift that it was um i i am so thankful for these for these writers and these artists who have who have found these these little entry points to say something meaningful
0: no i and absolutely. guys this isn't even
1: all the stories <laughs>
0: Yeah, I know. That's only a few. But no, that was the one that was the one that really got me. And that last page that you mentioned where it's Superman in space looking at the world and saying, I love you. I've seen that floating around social media. And I always was struck by it. And I said, oh, that's beautiful. But I didn't know the context. And now I have the context for it. And it hits so much harder. And it it calls to mind a couple of things. And I've talked uh, m- multiple times on this podcast about one of the scenes from the Superman and Lois pilot, where Clark is out on the porch with Jordan, who's struggling with these developing powers, and Clark's talking about his experience with Jonathan and how he didn't. Jonathan didn't know what he was doing, right? You know, he, he tells he tells his son, "is like you know, he was just on his way to church, going back to the religious aspect. Like he was on his way to church one day, and they found me, <laughs> and it changed his life, and he had to learn how to be a parent instantly." and the message there was that he didn't always have all the answers but he was there and that's something that's that's resonated so much and you know seeing actually now getting to see that incarnation of Jonathan the one at the outset who doesn't have all of the answers who's kind of struggling a little bit and looking for some guidance because we always know and think of Jonathan as the one with the answers with the speeches with the parables mm-hmm. with with the lessons that Clark will carry forward but you see him at the beginning not really knowing. It was interesting, he was a little older than I I would have expected. I mean, I guess that harkens back more to the traditional depiction of the Kents, but in the modern era, clearly, you know, we've seen them younger uh, when they take in Clark. But this was a little bit of an older Jonathan, but, you know, very relatable and and fascinating to see that version of him. And then, exactly as as you described, this this montage of of Jonathan and Clark as as Clark is moving forward through the years and Jonathan just continually saying, you're special, I love you, I'm proud of you. And I don't want to rehash this because I just I talked about this when we covered space age and the similar idea of you know always saying, I love mm-hmm. you and everything. But it is from the beginning, kind of just instinctively, I knew that was how I wanted to be and how I have been and hope to continue to be with my son, where I tell him that every day. And it's that, I want that to be, I feel it so deeply that I want to, I always want to say it, but it's like beyond that, I want it to be so ingrained in him, right? Just like it was with Clark, so ingrained, such an automatic that it's never anything he has to stop and wonder about. Oh, is my dad proud of me? No, no, no. You know it because I tell you every day, like, I just want that to be just a part of it. And so that, man, it just hits so hard. And then, yeah, when you get to, and that's the thing too with these stories, that's that's really kind of you know, it keeps you on your toes in a way because they're not beholden to any ongoing mm-hmm. narrative or continuity. So this, we could have been reading a story where Jonathan Kent is still alive as he is currently in the comics, right? But this, that was not the case. And so as you're reading it, you know, it just, it hits you like a ton of bricks when you see Clark standing at, at the grave. But then, uh, yeah, to see Clark take those lessons and then, you know, kind of pay it forward, right? To all the people that he's mm-hmm. saving. Uh, it, it was just wonderful. That one, yeah, that, I mean, I, I, that one was definitely my favorite and definitely had the most uh, emotional impact. Just top notch.
1: Yeah, e- easily, you know, I, there's no way to rank them, but but easily one of the absolute shining stories in, in all of these.
0: Absolutely. And just to jump back to the first one that you mentioned, the crypto story, not to, I know we're focusing on the heart here, but, you know, just uh, taking a step back, looking at the larger Superman mythology I've as I've talked about many times, the whole superboy aspect. Clark is superboy is something that I've never that's never totally resonated with me. And, you know, crypto's kinda kinda goes hand in hand with that. I have nothing against crypto, but uh, you know, a story like this, I think went a long way towards making me get the appeal of crypto even more, especially at that stage in Clark's journey. Uh, mm-hmm. and especially at, like you said, that point in time where he yeah you know he's feeling alienated and he's he's coming of age, but he's you know everyone feels different at that point, and he actually is different and so like in a, in a very fundamental way. And then so to have this connection point, uh connection to his home world, you know sharing with 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 this other being, uh the only other one who knows what it's like to be like him, uh is, mm-hmm. is really a powerful thing. So I'll kind of keep that in mind as i as I delve into superboy territory and the not too distant future.
1: I I love the way that some of these stories – and there's a few of them – took something from continuity, from issues that you may have read when you were a child. Some might be from the 50s. Some might be from the 90s. But um, like they even took the the Brian Michael Bendis uh, press conference where Superman tells the world he's Clark, and they brought that word for word into one of these stories. So I love the way that some of these will mine that territory. But in, in this crypto story um, – it it told the same story. Clark was right. at the farm. A rocket crashed. They didn't know what it was. He ran out, and it was this dog. And not only was it a dog, it was his dog, um, because the coordinates had been set by Jarrell as a test. And the thing about this this retelling of the story is, it does not mess with the myth but it gives you a little bit of heart. It turns the diamond a bit, and you can see this other facet of how Clark felt about it because we saw how he how he was feeling before the ship landed, which was not part of the original story. And there's a scene where Clark goes, oh my gosh, it's a puppy, and he takes the puppy out um, and thinks it's just a normal puppy. So it's sitting there, and it looks up at Clark you know, with these big eyes, and then, like a puppy, just takes off running. But it takes off at super speed and Jonathan and Martha have this look like, Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> and there's just a trail in the corn, you know, <laughs> and Jonathan and Martha are trying to, to, to look ahead. Like what is our, what has this done to our life? And there's a little panel and, and, and it's just an inset, but it shows a, a, a detail of Clark's little boy face And he's got this twinkle in his eye and he's got this smile seeing how fast the dog is. And he just goes, I got him. And then he takes off and you realize this is a friendship for the ages. This is what Clark needed. This is that companionship. Um, And there's been other stories that have ended with, you know, every boy needs a dog, but how much more so in, in Clark's position of loneliness how how much of that emptiness did this dog fill for him it brought him back to being whole again and it shows you know jonathan has to tell him clark you know try not to throw the stick all the way to missouri next time and clark's like okay pa you know um and it's cute and it's adorable but you also really get how ma and pa's lessons aside ma and pa are not like Clark, and they could have done a a job to get Clark, you know, from from where he was to maybe here. But that dog, that dog who made him feel not alone in the universe, that dog who made him feel all of the of the connection, that took it further than Mom and Pop could have. And that's the that's the value of crypto. That's the love that I have for him. I mean. My dog is crypto, um, but he he has a place in literary history of Superman, and and for me that's the reason why.
0: Yeah, no, and this I think this has given me even greater appreciation for that. You know, we were never pet people, and I never had a dog, so I think a little bit of that is lost on me. But again, I I, I enjoy the character. Please don't get me wrong here, people. And but again, this story I, I think uh, you know further cemented that. And it's funny you mentioned the the Bendis secret identity reveal and how that gets played on here. Mm-hmm. It's, I believe, the final story of issue six where uh, there's a young boy who is struggling with uh, coming out mm-hmm. and he watches the Superman press conference and he sees Superman be his truest self and that inspires him to tell his family that he's gay. And that was a tough one. I love, I love the, the, the boy's journey in that story and coming out and, and being his authentic self. As a as the Superman nerd, I, you know I I never liked the secret identity reveal. I like its impact here, I suppose. Although one of the things that I that I didn't like, and as we've talked about, that Genie's been put back in the bottle as far as Clark's secret identity, and I'm I'm glad for that because I, it never really sat right with me that it felt like. And again, I you know this story kind of plays into that. And I, I again I don't want to undermine this story. It's it's beautiful, but. I never liked this idea that the secret identity was was kind of equated with, you know, being in the closet with respect to your sexuality or, or or what have you, because I felt like there is a place for the secret identity and it it's it's different. And I felt like that was kind of get getting conflated, whether it was the Benda story or, you know, the end of the Supergirl TV series or what have you and. Um, so I had a little bit of that swimming around, but I liked the way that this played out and the effect that it had on this particular character in this story.
1: It, yeah, I, I would agree with you because uh, one of the things that is, is one of my takeaways from all six issues and all, all the stories that are in them is there are particular lines that characters will say and um, thoughts that they will have that I'll be thinking, oh, I'm enjoying this story, it's okay, I like, and then some somebody will say something, and I'll just go, oh, oh, that's what this is about, that's that's the purpose of, of all of this, and, you know, stylistically, it might not have been my favorite compared to, you know, a Robert Venditti written story, or a Matt Wagner story, but um, in this one, the writer, by the way, is Max, uh, Rex Ogle, excuse me, not Max, Rex Ogle, and there is a line in there where the boy is just about to decide to have the, the courage to, to come out. And the line says, um, with those two little words, the world is a more honest place, a safer place, not just for me, but for everyone. And I think in the, in the world of this kid, when he saw Superman stand up to that podium and say the truth about himself, the distinction between were Clark's reasons for having a sacred identity different? Those distinctions were not where that kid was at in his life. Where he was at is he witnessed someone do this honest thing. And that gave him the courage to do an honest thing. And the line with those two little words, the world is a more honest place. I really appreciated that that's where it ended up. And I think that anyone can read this story and equate that however they like in their own life. Sure. You know, it it could be a work situation. It could be a family situation. It could be, you know, your relationship with your father. It could be a lot of different things. But if the takeaway is you were inspired by someone else's actions to say, I'm going to choose honesty, then... What a story to end, not just that issue, but the whole series on. Because if Superman stands for certain things, that is definitely one of them.
0: Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina, for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year, this multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Aw Yeah! Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join All Yeah! for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow All Yeah! on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Oh yeah. Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash Desiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers, and discounted annual memberships are available, too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC movie rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Thank you. I'll say, I'll say there were there were a couple of other ones that that made me think of you. That I was like, oh, I'm sure Daniel loved these. One was that Matt Wagner story featuring Clark mm-hmm. the Reporter, and I thought it was great. You see him in the Fleischer esque costume and uh, you know sort of the set pieces that call to mind the Fleischer cartoons in terms of you know, adversaries and things like that, but. The thrust of it is that Superman is getting all of the headlines, the front page stories. And Clark is writing these in-depth stories about what's kind of behind all of these things. Like who, how did the mad scientist get the materials that he used for his robot? And these stories are getting buried on page 13 of the paper. And you see Clark Mm -hmm. struggling with that. And look, anytime we get Clark as the reporter in a meaningful way... I love, and I thought that was, it was such a great story to show, because I guess it shows a couple of things. It shows what what Clark can do, or at least is trying to do as a reporter. And I think the story even mm-hmm. opens with him saying, you know, I took this job initially to help me further my crusade, right? And I think the implication right. of that is that, yes, and that was the jumping off point, but that there is, you know, he sees this opportunity to do more good, or to do good in a different way, by shining a light, by by sharing the truth. Uh, and again, it keeps getting relegated to the back pages of the paper. And so, again, you see what he's trying to accomplish in a different way, not just as Superman, but also, I think, a very human, very relatable frustration that, it, you know, it's getting lost in the shuffle. And it's, you know, he's essentially competing with himself
1: here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I love the scene where he, he even goes into Perry White's office to try to argue, like, the editorial slant of the paper. And to try to get Perry to run more real news and less Superman on the front page and Perry has to say, look, you know, the the Daily Planet, as the editor-in-chief, I have two responsibilities. One is I have an integrity. I have responsibility to the truth and to the reputation of of the, the journalism of this newspaper. And two, I have to sell papers, Clark. And Superman sells papers. And then, you know, Clark has to accept that because it's it's coming from a place of truth. I mean, Perry was telling him he was being completely transparent. This is how the world works, Clark. And, you know, but then he has to see Lois, which, by the way, I love the, Felix, the Phyllis Coates sort of tough-as-nails version of, of Lois here, The definitely the, the 40s version. Um, and he's got to see her, like, basically just being the toast of Metropolis you know, coming in like, hey, boys, how does it feel to be in a room with me? Hey, eh? you know, and Clark's out on the street listening to these, these two uh, citizens of Metropolis uh, talking about the latest Superman adventure. And Clark just sort of almost like a like a kid at school. He just sort of leans over and he goes, well, you know, there's another story about that later on about how there was a government contract and and the bad guy really shouldn't have been able to do what he did you know, because this government connection should not have been allowed to happen, and um, the there's a moment where Clark's actually happy because those guys go, "Oh, really? Well, let's check that out." And they flip to that page, and they take one look, and the guy goes, "Ah, it's too long to read." <laughs> like that's the 1940s version of you know too long didn't read, and then the other guy goes, "Yeah, I prefer the funnies anyway," which of course is tongue in cheek to you know hmm. Schuster and 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 Siegel and Schuster's original goal of all they wanted to do was be syndicated in a, in a newspaper. Um, So ironic that Clark now has to suffer the fact that that's been successful, but just the heartbreak that he has of even when he's nudging people, Hey, go look at my story. They're not interested. So beyond the fact that I love Matt Wagner's storytelling style, I have loved him since Grendel. I thought his Batman and Grendel story was some of the best Batman that I ever read. I love Matt Wagner's, storytelling ability and the way he would have the old style newspapers as the backdrop of the narration. Yeah. So you'd see the Fleischer drawn Superman fighting my favorite, the robots with the big number <laughs> number on their chest. But in the background is that cocked newspaper, you know, that just brought you so completely nostalgic nostalgically back to that era. But Style aside, the fact that this story ends with Clark at this low point of, he came to do real good. And yes, he may have stopped giant robots from stealing jewelry and diamonds from a, from a store, but he talks to Pete Ross on the phone and he's sort of trying not to come across as needy to Pete. He's trying to just say, Hey, you know, let's, let's talk like we used to. And God bless his heart, Pete says, well, you know, Clark, I read that story. And Clark goes, oh, you did? Almost, you know, like, you did? And Pete just says, Clark, I read all your stories. And he proves it. He starts talking about, I remember when you wrote about this, we were about that. And it's almost that crypto moment. Like, that's the thing that Clark needed to not stay in this, this low point where he was actually wondering, am I alone here? Am I the only one who's trying to achieve this thing? And that's, that's a best friend for you. Like that's the Pete Ross that that we know and love.
0: It was such a, such an unexpected appearance. I, I didn't, you know, I think we would see Pete in these stories and, and certainly not necessarily in that one. And I was so happy, not just that he popped up, but that he served that function. And yeah, I think that was, uh, you know, the, the wind in, in Clark's sails that he needed at that moment. And And I thought that was a great touch. And there's also another bit where Clark articulates this idea that he doesn't, you know, it doesn't sit right with him to report on himself as Superman, mm-hmm. right? Which I think is is a great touch and again shows his integrity. And also that because again, right, this comes up so many times. We have plenty of versions of the story where he gets the job at the Daily Planet because he gets the scoop on Superman and of course raises certain ethical <laughs> ethical questions. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh with respect to journalistic integrity and all of that. And and, and I think one of the things that's so cool about this story is like, it's like there are other things for him to do, right? There are these other other stories, other truths that he's trying to bring to light. Uh, and then, uh, you know, sort of the capper to this is he decides to write his own story, but for himself, at least for now. And he's sitting down at the mm-hmm. typewriter and he's, you know, t- telling the, the story that only he can tell, right, about who he really is and, and all of that. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how else I would have ended the story in fairness. I don't know how satisfying I felt that as, as the, as the payoff to that specific one, but I think it works well enough in, in the context. What about you?
1: Uh, I'll tell you that I, I had a different take on it this week, reading it than I did before, because um, I've, I've been fortunate enough to start writing articles for the daily planet. So I've been getting into that journalism mindset and, When I reached the end of this story on this latest reading, it hit me. I get it. I get it because Clark has to get out of his own way. And the way he does that is to write the story of the century. And he's going to finish it. He's going to put it in a box. He'll probably put it under the floorboards. But he got it out of his system. He wrote it. And now he's out of his own way and and now he can he can face tomorrow with a different perspective and um i i got it like i understood that there is you know one thing
0: that i do identify because you know over the years whether it's the, the articles i've written or all of these many podcasts or the documentary films that i've done sort of my my personal philosophy has always been do what you're passionate about what you enjoy do do whatever it is that uh is worth doing to you, even if no one else is reading or watching or listening. And uh, I think that served me well, because I think if you get too caught up in the, the reaction, the results, it can be a fool's errand sometimes, and or at a minimum, it can be very frustrating. Uh, at the same time, you know, it's definitely very galvanizing when you, when you get that response. But yeah, I do think kind of as that threshold matter, uh, you know, doing it for yourself Putting out into the world, or in this case, even just in a drawer, you know, for Clark, what what you want to create, I, I do think is probably the healthiest, most productive starting point. You feel for Clark in this though, because with news in particular, you know, I feel like that's you know, it's a little bit of a different angle there because you're doing it, you know, it's different than writing something creative per se or something like that, where you know, kind of like just the process of putting it together might be satisfying enough. I guess that's true to an extent if you're writing a hard news story, but it's like, ultimately you are doing it. There's a, a very, I guess, specific, tangible uh, outcome that you're, that you're looking to achieve. And so, you know, you, you, I mean, it's still in the paper, uh, albeit a bit buried, but uh, I, I guess I just, yeah, I felt for Clark in the story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and even if you think sometimes you do things just for yourself, the next time Lois comes in and, you know, it's like, how does it feel? to look at a superstar guys. Clark's going to go, you know what? That's okay. You can have your moment now, because I know that at at my house, under my floorboards, is going to be my moment, so I'm not bothered by this, and I think that helps that to bring that balance back to him and, and what he does day to day.
0: We mentioned in the story Pete Ross, and then kind of on the note of friendship, there's another story featuring Jimmy Olsen, and written by Josh Williamson, who of course has now taken mm-hmm. over the Superman title, and... Uh, It's this great story where Jimmy's being interviewed and he's asked what his favorite Superman picture is. And, you know, we see all these different shots that Jimmy's taken over the years. And, uh, and then one moment in particular where Jimmy's racing to get this shot and it's, you know, Superman kind of kneeling down with two kids that he's just saved after this big battle. And you, you know, you kind of assume that's going to be the shot. And then, you know, Superman flies up and I love that he's like, Hey pal, right? That's how he greets Jim and Jim's so excited about this shot and superman's like uh you had left the <laughs> the cap on the camera the lens cover and uh when he you know removes it he he takes this shot of the two of them and that's his favorite shot and mm-hmm. it was just such an it was a, just like a fun light jimmy story but i really liked it and i think w- what i enjoyed most of all was just kind of that easy rapport between the two of them and uh and like a genuine friendship that i i always want to see more of. So I thought that was a really, uh, that that was a fun one. I like that one.
1: Hey, I I love that one too. The fact that the point of the story is that this person is asking Jimmy of all the pictures you've ever taken of Superman, what one is your favorite? You know, and you imagine, Oh, uh, there's monumental ones. There's, you know, it's, it's like asking the photographer from Marvel's. What was your favorite shot that you ever took? Jimmy Olsen. Oh my gosh. And the fact that ultimately his answer was that it was an accidental selfie. Yeah. Because he had missed the great shot. And by the way, um, when you see that drawn in that panel, it would have been such a good shot. The, the depiction of it artistically, um, was amazing. And you look at that and you go, yeah, if I had missed that one, I would have hated myself too. Um, (laughs) But the fact that when Jimmy accidentally hits the button because he was looking at the camera and like, oh, I did leave the lens cap on, um, that Superman has his hand on Jimmy's shoulder and he's giving him this really friendly smile like, that's okay, You know, this isn't the world. We're friends. And and Jimmy's kind of shrugged it off already because his friend is here. Not that it's his friend Superman is here. It's that his friend is here and his friend just said eh, "it's okay." And so Jimmy has this this expression of, "You know what? You're right. It is okay." And Superman has the smile, and that's the shot. That's the selfie. And then when that's depicted and drawn in this in this issue, you look at that and you go, "Okay, you're right. That one's better." I mean, that one I can so you totally believe it and it's it is so wonderful. It's just Jimmy and somebody sitting at a table in a cafe um, and that's the whole point. That's why I love these vignettes is there would not really be the the real estate in any other story to do that unless it was a backup feature somehow. Um, but um, just if you didn't already love Jimmy, you kind of have to start loving him with, with this one. This would be a good entry point if somebody said, I've never read anything at all pertaining to Jimmy Olson." I think I'd be tempted to give him this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's just what's so beautiful is that it's you know the 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 photo that means the most to him, right, is the one that the one that captures the essence of their friendship. The one that Mm -hmm. could only have been taken because they're friends, right? Like the shot that he missed. Yes, it would have been a gorgeous shot, and it would have been on the front page of the paper. But not to diminish Jimmy as a photographer, but anyone else who had been in that spot in that moment could have gotten that. But but the one of the two of them laughing, right, was just this genuine moment and a side of Superman that so few get to see. But he has this friendship. Uh, yeah, that was that. That was a really fun one. There's also, I guess, while we're talking about Clark the reporter, it's funny. I wasn't even, you know, I wasn't thinking about this so much as I was. I was just kind of taking each story in. But you know, thematically, you can kind of group them in certain categories. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about a number of the smaller ones. There are a couple others of, as well, of course, uh, and then some of the you know Metropolis Daily Planet ones and. A really fun one is when Clark is trying to make his deadline at the Daily Planet as well as uh, arrive uh, to dinner with Bruce and Diana on time. And the two of them have taken bets about whether or not yep. he'll make it. And it's great because Diana says to Bruce, what, what does she initially propose, $100? And he's like, make it 10000 and we'll do it. <laughs> make it
1: 10000 yeah. And Clark hears them. Like He's still on the phone with Bruce. He can hear them betting on him. Yeah. <laughs> and what's and, no, uh, Yeah, no, go ahead. Oh, just that they, they decide that whoever wins, they're going to donate it to charity. So they both do things that they know Clark would like. So I think Bruce says, well, if I win, I'll give it to Agriculture Development and said, Well, if I win, I'll give it to Journalism Education. So, I mean, there's no way to lose, but still Clark's pride is on the line.
0: Yeah, and I think what, yes, absolutely. It also, just as a quick side note, it made me think of How I Met Your Mother, one of my all-time favorite shows, because there was this running bit where Barney was this uh you know this this big gambler, and he could never turn down a bet, but he also uh was 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 into the high stakes, so I you know one of the other characters at one point would bet him fifty dollars. he's like fifty make it five thousand it made, it really uh <laughs> it really the called, called to mind that that bit, but what I really enjoyed was seeing how well Bruce and Diana know Clark and how they each know him in in different respects, right? because uh initially. Uh, what is it? Yeah, I think, I think Bruce says something to the effect of, you know, cause they're talking about how he is going to change it to Superman to make it to the planet in time, as opposed to trying to take an Uber across town. Uh, right. but they recognize he's going to be, you know, encountering any number of, you know, calls for distress, you know, you know, calls for help, uh, in the midst of all of this and he'll be interrupted. And Bruce talks about, well, once he's done with that, he'll be able to get back to the planet quickly. And Diana's like, well, but you know, he's not like you. He doesn't just like disappear into an alley. He's polite, right? He's going to stop and he's going to talk to people and he's going to take photos and things like that. But then the kind of the flip of that, where we see how well Bruce knows Clark, he talks about Clark's integrity and dependability as a journalist, right? And kind Mm -hmm. of is, is talking about uh, you know, Clark's achievements in that field and how he never misses a deadline. And, you know, this is a, a core attribute of his character. So it was cool to mm-hmm. see, again, uh, within this, this trinity, how well they know each other, but in different ways.
1: Yeah, and you wonder, like, how long has their relationship, you know, existed that there's, that there's such intimate friends in this way. Um, but there's, uh, there's some real insight there of how well they know Clark. Because um, Bruce, I believe, is the one who says, you know, Clark's life as a journalist means so much to him. It's one of the things that he feels makes him human. And, you know, you see him reassuring Perry, I won't be late. I won't miss deadline. You know, I won't fail your trust in me. Um, But then Diana says, yes, that's Clark, but but he's also Superman. So he still has to traverse the distance um, where he's in the alley, you know, doing the change. Which, by the way, I was reading the story and I thought, oh, this is a pretty good story, this is a pretty good story. Page two, panel two, you see him running in the alley, about to do the shirt rip, and the art um, is just uh, like, it won me over in that moment. I'm like, I went back and I looked, okay, now who's the artist on this? Because you just, you just got me with that panel. Oh, it's Laura Braga. Okay. Mental note, look up Laura Braga later. Um, but he still has to traverse the distance of where he is to the Daily Planet, and Diana goes, you really think that he's going to pass by anybody who needs help along his way. And it shows this montage of, no, he will not. He's saving people left and right and stopping to make sure that they're okay. And even with some kids, like let's take a picture together and talking with the firemen and, and, you know, and you feel the, the clock, you know, tick, 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 tick. But when he's with those kids, you do not feel that you do not feel that he has somewhere, else to be or somewhere better to be and that resonated me with me in my in my charity work and in, in my cosplay work because the value of that the value of a child when they're with superman feeling like he is present and he is not acting like he has somewhere better to be than to talk to me and spend time with me but that panel made me love superman again because Bruce and Diana who know him intimately were saying, well, that's who he is. And we got to see that, you know, I even came up with a trick sometimes if I really do have somewhere else to be, and I really do have to say goodbye to, to a child, um, what I'll do is I'll say, I, I have to go, but I don't want to just shake your hand up. Let's shake it twice, you know, and we'll do a double goodbye. I'm telling you that extra, that extra five seconds, that extra, you're not just going to get one, you're going to get two. It makes that goodbye. Okay. The the child accepts you're Superman, you're busy. But when you were smiling at me, you were my friend and you didn't leave me because you wanted to. And you really get that here. Um, it's just amazing. No, I know. It's it's so nice. And it's, you know, whether
0: again, and, and your, and the the work you do is with your charity organization. And as a cosplayer, uh, I think this comes up a lot in the realm of, actors and other celebrities and things like that where, you know, you, they and you, you know, have these interactions with people. It's like for, for the celebrity, we'll just put it that way. You know, it's, it's another interaction, right? They'll be done with that and go about their day. But for the person that they're having that Mm -hmm. interaction with, that could be a memory that will that they'll carry with them forever, right? And so, yeah, you hope that <laughs> the, the person on the other end, the, you know, uh, who, who kind of has that power will use it well and, and hopefully make it a good experience. Not that people are owed anything, but, uh, but, but you know, there is that kind of dynamic. And, you know, you get the sense Superman is, is well aware of that and, and that power that he has. And, you know, there's another, I guess, thematically related story where there's a little girl who comes into school for show and tell, and she's talking about this piece of, you know, debris that Superman gave her after this battle and how she helped, you know, she helped him during this and their friends and all the other kids are mocking her and she's being ostracized. Not unlike, uh, you know, that kindergarten story that we had talked about earlier. And then Superman takes the time to show up at this mm-hmm. little girl's school. And of course everybody comes around and it's, you know, this important lesson about, uh, you know, about, about treating other people well and, and everything. and um, You know, just this great moment and the fact that Superman would take the time uh, to do something like that just speaks volumes about his character.
1: Yeah, it's very, you know, the end of Shazam, where he takes the time to go to the cafeteria and sit down next to the kid who everyone was making fun of, you know, um, and it turns out, no, you really do know Superman. And he really does legitimately like you enough to come here and not think that it's some chore
0: for sure, there's another story that again made me think of you because, in, in particular, the art—you know—it it very much called to mind the Christopher Reeve uh, incarnation of the characters, the one where Clark, not Superman, but Clark, talks down that would-be robber at the convenience mm-hmm. store, and mm-hmm. uh, you know that was that was tremendous. I know it was not Wilfredo Torres, but the art style kind of you know kind of felt like in that in that vein. And I know, of course, you're a big fan, and we've talked about that. But uh yeah, yeah I mean, I thought that was such a great one, and and. Yes, I suppose you can make the argument Clark was able to be so calm and able to do all of this because he knew he w- he would be okay. But you get the sense he would have done it anyway, right? You know, that's the thing and he was able to get through to this to this person who clearly was was in over his head, right? And had gone down a bad path, but there was a chance to kind of pull him back and Clark, you know, Clark took that chance and was able to set him straight and actually let him go. Uh, at mm-hmm. the end of it, with the promise that this this guy will never come back
1: here and will not do
0: this again, uh, yeah. I mean, what was your take on that one?
1: Oh, I absolutely loved it. Um, it's called Deescalation. And um, the artist is Valentin Delandro.
0: Yeah, I just so, want to say real, real quick, and, and thank you for sharing that, you know, that, that artist. I know, you know we've been talking about a bunch of these stories already. And I know we have not been giving the creative teams every time. There are just, there are so many. Um, but We really, you know, appreciate everyone's work. And uh, again, I do encourage everyone to, to check this out. And you can see who did each of these stories that we talked about. So if we're not saying a creative team's name, it's not a slight in any way. It's just that there's a lot and we have a lot to get through.
1: <laughs> uh well I I you know didn't know some of these artists myself until, until I read these. So this is just another reason that everyone has to go pick up these books. Um, but there's a particular uh, there's a particular panel um on page two where the way the Clark is drawn is a a dead ringer uh duplication of Christopher Reeve in the alley after he caught the bullet from Lois. And he's sort of turned down and his chin is down and he's, you know, when he opens his hand and sees the bullet, but then he kind of looks out the side of his glasses. There's a drawing that is exactly like that in this story. And it was one of those moments where I was already intrigued by the art because on page one, Clark comes into this little like convenience store bodega kind of a place and he bumps into an old school comic book stand one of those vertical metal that has the sign that says comics at the top and he knocks it over and he acts like oh no and the the teenager behind the counter goes you do that every time <laughs> and you get the sense of oh okay we're going to see old school Christopher Reeve Clark here but the charm of it is is definitely there and and the artwork by by Valentine like is is dead on but I think the other part of the charm is, you're right, that Clark talks down this teenage first-time offender who barely knows how a pistol works, you know. Um, but he talks him down in a way that I think if it had been Paul Kent standing there, Paul would have said those exact same words in that exact same way. It was not because he was invulnerable that he said those things. Yep. He— He went over to the door and he said, well, tell you what, before we start, let me lock this front door. So nobody else comes in, nobody else gets hurt. You know, and he mentions a a lady who probably is elderly. He's like, you know, we wouldn't want her to to have a heart attack. And then he says, okay. And basically creates a safe space to talk to this kid and then asks him about his life. Like what brought you to this moment? Because this doesn't have to be your life is over but tell me, you know, what, what, what are you thinking kid? And you don't know if he's telling the truth or not, but he tricks the kid into saying that like the, the safety's on. You're not even going to yeah. be able to use this gun. So just, so just hand it to me. Um, but I also think that part of, part of Clark's approach there is because there's an innocent teenage girl who it's her first time that she's been trusted to run the counter here. And you don't want anything going wrong. The, the kid accidentally gets stressed out and something escalates and somebody is hurt so you see you see Clark performed the de-escalation, but with his um I got the sense almost like if it had been a uh, a spooked animal on the farm, that we he would have handled this in a similar way. Of you know, you come up to it gently, you soothe it, that this is how you treat uh something that is spooked. And for all those reasons, I thought, um, the writer who in this case is G Willow Wilson, um, really had a handle on the character. Um, and at the end, there's a sweet moment where, uh, Clark thinks, okay, I got out of this. I didn't have to blow my secret identity, um, cause he could have shot me. And then I would have had that, you know, Richard Donner deleted scene with Lois, you know, then what do I do? So, um, he, is walking down the street and the girl sees some little, you know, I don't know if they're stuffed Superman dolls, but they're on the counter available for sale. And she grabs one and runs out to the street and she says, wait, wait. And you see Clark go, you know, almost Otis like, because he thinks, Oh no, like, did I blow my identity somehow? And she just wants to come up and give him this gift as a thank you. And she says, you know, you may not be Superman, but you're my Superman. And that's how the story ends, and your your sort of emotional um, tank refilling of of the result of that story is Clark needs these moments as Clark because he gets them probably like he's not in it he's not into being Superman for any of the attention, but as Clark when he's out there and he just wants to make a difference. Like, these moments are good for him, too, when a girl says, you know, I know you're not the Superman, but you're my Superman, Clark.
0: Uh, yeah, no, for sure. I, I agree with that. And also, it's a different, you know, because I, I was so, I really was struck by the fact that he let the guy go. And it's funny where mm-hmm. he's like, you know, you'll keep this promise that, you know, you won't come back here. If not, I'll know. <laughs> this guy's probably like, well, all right. But but it it is a different effect when it's clark kent having this conversation with someone and it's funny it i i don't i wouldn't say it resonates necessarily resonates more with the would be robber but i think it resonates differently and i think there's not that superman is batman but there's you know kind of a, a an aspect of fear or intimidation that might be at play if superman is telling him don't ever come back here as opposed to clark mm-hmm. like clark really got through to him On a very human level. And I agree. And going back to what I was saying before, it's like, yeah, I I don't really have any doubt that he would do this same thing, even if he had no powers. And we we talked recently, and we'll talk again, about the diner scene from Superman and Lois season three. And same type of thing there. I've said it already. I'm going to say it now. And I'll say it again when we do our episode on that. But there's no doubt in my mind that Clark would have done exactly the same, even if he had no powers and even the way he went up to Candace's father in that scene and approached him felt very much to me like something he would have seen Pa Kent do if yes. someone was out of line. Right. And it was, yes. it's just that it's just that core. That's just a part of his character. And you see, you know, you just see that on display here. That was great.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, even when Clark left the house and, and Lois <laughs> said, this isn't a job for Superman and Clark goes, Superman's not going, <laughs> you know, this is this is my son's father that's going. Yeah.
0: No. Absolutely. Yeah. That was um, that was that was really tremendous. And I guess maybe just for a moment circling back to Smallville. I know I had, I had mentioned this before, but the the special, uh, the episode with the, the episode uh, the story with the waitress from the diner uh, in Smallville, uh, written yeah. by Tom King, and just oh, man. This this one was a this one was a standout to me too. Uh, this waitress who we see waiting on the Kent family. Again, across across decades, we see her on her first day as she's a young woman and she's, you know, dropped a pot of coffee or whatever it is, and she's cleaning it up and she's cursing and she's all all out of sorts. Mm-hmm. And of course the Kents, you know, the Kens are there with uh, with Baby Clark and everybody's kind of, you know, having a you know, a, they're all acclimating to their various circumstances. And then, you know, you you see her. It's you know, we see various scenes play out over the years. At this diner in Smallville, whether it's you know Clark telling Lana that he's going to leave mm-hmm. uh, to go to you know to go see the world and 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 she's upset, or then you know later down the line when he brings Lois there and she's nervous about meeting mom and pa, uh, mm-hmm. when uh, you know Lois and Clark ultimately bring little John there, um, and when Clark is there after after pa has passed, and so you know this this woman here has seen them uh, through all of these these various stages. And it's really this beautiful exchange between her and Clark at the end of this vignette where she talks about being one of those people whose, whose lives are in black and white, right? And, and not, not the color that's out there in the world that Clark has probably seen. And not unlike Pa Kent himself, which the waitress specifically mentions, you know, Clark is able to say exactly the right thing about, you know, for, for whatever it's worth. It's like he has seen everything you know, and more, more than she could ever imagine. But, uh, you know, he's seen everything. And for him, you know, this, this woman is, you know, one of the people that represents, you know, home to him. Right. And he goes and Mm -hmm. she's part of, you know, she's a, a, you know, a fixture at this place. And that means something to him for whatever that's worth to her. And clearly it's worth a lot. Uh, but it's just, I just thought it was such a sweet story about this person who, Again, typically in any of these stories would just kind of be in the background, but to kind of frame a story around this background character who's there for so much, uh, I just thought was was a wonderful take. So yeah, that was a Tom King story. I really liked that one.
1: Yeah, and and I'm sure I'm absolutely positive that that you were like me when you know this is this was in issue six. We had to wait the whole series <laughs> for the Tom King story, and in issue five they say you know coming up here's the creative teams that are going to be in issue six, and you see Tom King's name and you go. Oh, I, I can only imagine. So you have these expectations and then you read it and, and you just, you just want to do the, the Wayne's world, you know, (laughs) the, I am not worthy because wow, did Tom nail it with this? Um, You, you see the title, you know, it's called the special and you're not sure, you know, necessarily what that means because I think we're all trained by the Lego movie to hear the special. Um, But the special is that Pa Kent would come in and order the same thing from this diner. And this waitress Annie had had that rapport with him from before they probably found Clark in the field. And so Clark grew up as a little boy, Annie comes over, Pa orders the special. As a young man, Annie comes up, asks how our lives are. She really does care. Pa orders the special. And then you get to this this panel. And there's a different take on Pa Kent's death where he's in the cornfield and it's Superman that's kneeling down and covering Pa with his cape. And that was one of those times I will tell you that I started crying because that had a whole other emotional impact because you do not know what led up to that moment. But the one thing that you can feel is whatever whatever Clark was feeling, he was in costume. And he was too late. Now, just think about that. This was not the Donner film where he and Paul were just talking. And then it just happened and it would have happened to Paul anyway. And the guilt that the teenage Clark felt in the, in the Donner movie of, you know, all these powers and I still could save him. This is a grown Superman in costume with full power. And whatever happened, he was too late. And you just look at this panel and you think, I thought I was done crying about the death of Paul Kent, but I am not. I don't, like and it's a rare person that can they can bring that out again. But I sat there going, I, I need a minute. I just, I need a minute on this. And so I thought, and I'm the reader. Imagine being Clark. So the next scene is Clark's at the diner without Paul for the first time. And, and like, think about this. For the first time in his entire life, he has walked up that sidewalk, put his hand on that door, opened the door, walked to whatever was their favorite booth, and sat down without paw. And an angel appears (laughs) in the form of a waitress named Annie. And... Clark's hair is disheveled, his eyes are sunken, he is not the same Clark, and she expresses her condolences, and she tells him what a good man she always thought that he was, and she asks, you know, is there anything I can get you? And Clark starts to order what, you know, what he feels like, and then he says, you know what, no, wait, I'm going to get the special. And he orders, pause, the special. And I lost it. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Anthony, I I'm not ashamed to admit it. I I was crying. I lost it. No, I don't I don't blame you. It really packs a And again, they get they get
0: us a couple of times in this miniseries with, with pop yeah. you know? <laughs> But but I you know I think this story is yet another example of again, I think if there's one theme that you really unites this miniseries, it's it's you know, I mean, at the most basic level, people being there for each other. It's it's Superman yeah. saves all of these people, but you see all of these instances of other people saving him, inspiring him, right? Like I think, you know, this angel, you know, Annie the waitress, I think that's a great way to, to put it. And, you know, she's there at a, at a very critical moment. She's been there all along. And then in this particular moment really uh, is able to step up in a way, you know, it's, it's funny because it's like, she's She's just helping a neighbor, a friend, right? And 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 um mm-hmm. you know, not not realizing the the larger input like she's helping <laughs> the world's greatest hero, you know, on, on top of all of that. Right. Uh, and, um, you know, and then again, other stories too in, in this miniseries where you know, I mentioned before the one with uh Dr. Was it Charlie Charlie Mills, the one who mm-hmm. uh Superman has saved all of these times. And again, I just love this idea you know, statistically as unlikely as it, might, as it might be, but the fact that, you know, they've continued to have all these encounters. And also too, along those lines, this is kind of a general point about some of these vignettes. I liked how a number of these stories really played into the idea that Superman's been around for a long time, right? Like obviously in the real world and the culture, we've, you know, 85 years, but but even in the context of these stories, you know, there are there are a couple of them where you see someone first encounter Superman as a child, and now mm-hmm. they're grown, right? So you really mm-hmm. you really feel the passage of time and Superman's long tenure in the world mm-hmm. of these stories. Uh, so I thought that was a nice touch. But you know, with Charlie, the fact that they've continued to have these encounters and have actually struck up a bit of a friendship, but then this guy, this doctor, is actually able to help him uh, mm-hmm. when he's shot with what was it a probably a kryptonite bullet of some sort? right? Uh, and and is, and is able to help him and, and kind of repay that favor. And then, uh, you know, there's yet another altercation uh, during the interview at, at GBS and, and they encounter each other again. But uh, again, and then even, even, I think probably even more so than that, the story of the young boy who carries Superman, an unconscious Superman, uh, up 15 flights of stairs when others who were helping had abandoned them and somehow is able to marshal the strength to get this guy up there, Uh, and and he you know came from um, from another country and sort of identified with you know coming you know being this alien coming from coming from another place and didn't want to lose this world right he had his Mm -hmm. he had lost his home and now he didn't want to lose this one and the strength right the strength of will the strength of spirit of body that he's able to demonstrate you know you just see in all these stories how how this you know to borrow a phrase that you just said like fills up the tank for superman right it's it goes both ways, like that's the thing. It's not just that oh, he's always saving people, right? He, he still would. <laughs> but it's the fact that they there are these instances where these people are re, are returning the favor and it's it's uh
1: yeah, it's uh, it'd be really beautiful. Yeah, what we were saying earlier was exactly true that it may not have been intentional, but there are some thematic threads here and and I made a note that the one that stood out to me the most was the uh the theme of humans step up whether it's because they were inspired to or because they would have anyway superman notwithstanding they were just a good person and you know you get this kid who metropolis is under attack by basically what looks like almost a galactus figure and in you know in reed richards fashion if superman doesn't take the device up and deal with this you know so two things have to happen it has to be superman can't die and also he has to you know take this device up and the kid knows enough about superman that if he can get superman into the sun that everyone has a shot and so you've got this not very big kid dragging superman up the stairs of a building that's in like danger of collapsing And the art, by the way, is is amazing on this. This is one of those that really took advantage of the colors, the limited color of of the reds showing more danger of the collapsing building. But um, the the true payoff of this story is that that resolved itself. The kid got him into the sun. He beat the villain. uh, Superman went back to check on the kid, and the kid was gone, and Superman assumed slash hoped that a rescue crew found him and that he was okay. But he never knew what happened to this kid who saved his life. Until one day, Clark is at the Daily Planet. And this is actually the first panel of the opening of the the story. And he sees a now grown version of this kid. And the first thing that you see Clark thinking to himself is, there's my hero. He looks at this kid and thinks, there's my hero. So of course, as the reader, we're hooked like, okay, tell us (laughs) What's, what's the story here. But after the flashback, the, the, the kid is there to interview for a job as a photojournalist with the Daily Planet. And so Clark is almost a little bit nervous, like, I don't know when to come up to this kid, how much does he, you know. Um, and so he does his best as just Clark Kent, not Superman, to introduce himself. And um, he's been keeping track of this kid's life and accomplishments on and off. So he knows that he pursued this, this photojournalistic career to do good in the world. And he knows the places that he's visited and the times that his photos have made a difference. And so he comes up to the kid and basically offers, um, hey, let me put in a word for you here. And the kid, the, the grown version of the kid, is, is very polite, but says, it's not necessary. I, I got the job. And so that's another instance where not everybody needs to be saved by Superman all the time, every time. Like this was a kid who had he not saved Superman that day would have still continued on to be a very productive member of society. Now, maybe that rescue of Superman spurred him even more to do more and maybe in a slightly different way. But, um, even though he lost his arm in that rescue, uh, by some falling brick, um, but fear not star labs literally in the story did give him another arm. Um, but he, he did fine. He did fine because jor was right and Paul was right. There's a strength in humanity. There's a strength in people. You know, there's a scene in, in the Robert Venditti written story where Paul is telling Clark, you know, most people want to be good people. And this, this kid is an example of that. And so in, in the end where you see him use the replacement arm that he gave up to save Superman one day which there's a joke in the story that the kid doesn't even put it on his resume, even though he could, he doesn't. Um, And he shakes hands with Clark and uh, Clark says, you know, that's quite a grip you've got there. Um, And I just love that, that it, it's very rare, I think for Clark to meet somebody and feel that their heroism matches his. And you felt that here, not just because it started with him saying there's my hero, but just the kid proved it, not, you know, not just that day, but the day after that and the day after that and the day after that with what he achieved on his own. So it was wonderful to see Clark be able to have that footing that you normally imagine only Lois gives him of an equal in, in the, the bravery that you're willing to to exhibit. You know, um, I mean, what, what, a, what a way to kick it off. It's, it was better than the, the, some of the scary ones, like when, uh, when Clark went to the, the prison camp. Yeah, we got to talk about that.
0: I just real quick. So, uh, you know, you mentioned again the use of of the color. I I just want to say like yeah. it's it's funny because that's I guess at the outset or at the most superficial level the hook of this, right? That it's it's only utilizing the the, the red and blue and uh obviously it's far deeper than that when you actually read these stories, but there are a couple and you know, like one that comes to mind is Lex, the Lex story where he's trying to get the drop on Superman using red kryptonite. So, right, that was a story that lent itself very nicely to the use of that color palette. Then there was another one. Was it uh, was it Mixie or or another imp who had stolen all the color from the world? Was it Mixie? But a different imp. A different imp. Okay. A different one. Yeah. Uh, but then eventually gives the so they're in this black and white world and they don't really remember what it used to look like. But they know something's missing. And then uh, the imp gives gives Superman this box of crayons, essentially like the color to release back into the world. Uh, and it's this debate because you know as he's releasing these colors and all of the emotions that come along with it. Uh, it will will change things and possibly for the better, possibly for the worse. And of course, he releases red, and it's you know passion and courage, but also anger and violence and blood. Uh, and then blue. So we start with red and blue, and and, and go from there. But uh, you know, so like there were some stories that like really, really made uh, you know very specific use of the color palette here. Uh, so I just wanted to mention that. But yeah, the the opening story written by John Ridley, uh, which actually. There's an editor's note about world's finest numbers 192 and 193. Have you read those mm-hmm. issues?
1: I did. Okay. Yeah.
0: Had you read them previously, or you read them because of this? Because of this. Okay. So I have not read them. I looked them up. But yeah, I mean, this this vignette, the the opening story, uh, which was, you know, I it kind of like knocked me back. And I was like, oh my God, like <laughs> what is this gonna be like? Because this was this was very heavy. But it's uh uh, well actually, let me ask you first the 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 original story I mean what uh i don't know anything that you can share about that I, I would be so curious that world's finest two parter i mean did it track i guess big picture with what's sort of recount i'm assuming this is a far uh more harrowing uh version of what transpired in the
1: original world's finest issue right it it tracks one to one um with some details left out but in in uh World's Finest, one ninety two and one ninety three, which came out in nineteen seventy, um, illustrated by Ross Andrew, who was one of my favorite Superman artists, um, and written by Bob Haney. the The story was called "The Prison of No Escape." So, I I have to believe that in nineteen seventy, with the Vietnam era, you know, and some of the some of the messages were woven in here, you know, to um, bring to light. Certain, certain things. Um, and the, the premise is that there's this fictional country called Lubania. Um, and that has a, a dictator, sort of a Russian uh, philosophy type of dictator, at least uh, of the 1970s. And he had figured out a way to make artificial kryptonite waves. And so basically that was his spider web. He was going to be able to catch Cooper, Superman and keep him depowered enough that he could keep him in this prison camp. And the, the dictator was Colonel Kozlov. And the, the conceit of this is that he was somehow able to keep Superman in his camp for eight months. And that was true in the, in the original two comics
0: was, you know, that was probably my biggest question. Cause I assumed that the, it wouldn't have yes. been for that one, but it was geez.
1: It, it was. And not only that, but they did the whole uh, propaganda thing where he was telling the world, I have your weapon of imperialism, you know, your Western blah, 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 cannot blah, blah, blah. And so he was using Superman in this way. Um, But that was always something that I really wondered, like, okay, the Justice League exists. There is no way, no way that in eight months he would not have been rescued. But it's the conceit of the story, so you go with it. And, um, eventually, uh, Batman decides he's going to go rescue him. And Kozlov is smart enough to know, well, this is probably going to happen. So he dressed up some guys in fake Batman suits and he kept tricking Superman into thinking this one's Batman. He's going to come rescue. And they never were the real Batman. One day the real Batman shows up and he doesn't believe him and they end up fighting until he, (laughs) so it was kind of almost a cute, you know, misunderstanding, typical thing, but it's actually Perry White that ends up rescuing him. Ah, nice. Because Perry has been fighting the media battle in America. You know, you're going to come at us with propaganda, or we're going to fight it with, with the journalism here in, the, in America. And so he goes over and he rescues both Batman and Superman, who have been captured. Only Kozlov dresses up two guys in Batman and Superman suits, so Perry takes home the wrong guys. And they have a bomb, and they're going to blow up, you know, Metropolis. Um, no, actually, I take that back. They're going to kill the president. Oh. And yeah, so high, high stakes. So, finally, Batman, being the strategist that he is, he figures out this Ray is, is depowering Superman. So, Superman and Batman switch costumes and switch cells, and now the Ray is focused on Batman, who cares, and Superman is able to regain his strength, and one day when he's strong enough, they simply fly out of there and escape, and then come back later and arrest everyone and so on so that is actually crucial to understanding this uh new uh continuation of the story because when you hear in this new story clark kent talking about the trauma and how his hand is shaking and it doesn't shake when he goes up against you know dark side but it is shaking because he has chosen to come and stand in front of colonel kozlov again in a journalistic capacity, you can't truly appreciate that if you hadn't understood everything that, had, that had happened.
0: I, no, I don't dispute that. I, but it, it's still, it's still really packed a punch. and, I got to say, man, like that's a deep, that's a deep cut. I mean, I, I, you know, my pre-crisis reading is, is still fairly limited. I have made a, a, you know, a decent dent, but it's, you know, really uh, ultimately still a small fraction of what's out there. But I was not familiar with this story. And that's what this miniseries leads off with. And right on the first page, you get that editor's note about Mm -hmm. the two issues. And I, I, yeah, I mean, it's fascinating to hear you talk about the the original story because I didn't think the story that original one went as far as it did, and so that's that's fascinating. Because yeah, as you're reading this, um, again, it's it's this very harrowing. And I was I was really shocked at the eight month long period where Superman had been this prisoner of war, and uh, so like you said, I mean, the setup of this is Clark in the present day going to Lubania, which now in the post Cold War era has become this economic powerhouse, and Kozlov is this financial leader, and Clark's going to interview him, and as he's going there, it's bringing up all of these memories, of course, and he talks about essentially kind of his his the, the hubris of inserting himself in um, in a rescue operation uh, in Lubania, right, kind of disregarding the politics and borders and, and everything that was going on mm-hmm. at the time, and again, like you said, they end up getting the drop on him with the synthetic kryptonite, and again, the fact that he was in prison for eight months, it was just you know, you feel for the character and, and again, it gets real dark. I mean, as Clark is recounting this, he's like, you know, they, they, you know, they did things to me, you know, and, and while Kozlov watched and, um, you know, just, and again, even like you said, like the propaganda piece of this, that they're kind of parading Superman out there or, you know, via photos at least, and, you know, kind of showing how this, you know, symbol of American, uh, you know, dominance has been taken down and, and, uh, imprisoned. And it's just, to see to see superman degraded in that way Mm -hmm. uh was was honestly like it was really tough it was tough to stomach um i I, this really inspired i'm going to track down those two world's finest issues because i would really like to read them uh just kind of a fascinating you know unexplored pocket you know for for me that i i would like to read more because this was this was a
1: strong one yeah and the fact that you know, some stories deal with the truth aspect, like the kid coming out, you know, and some stories deal with the justice aspect, like this one. And to, to know the level of, you know, torture is not too strong of a word that was done to Clark and in the original to Bruce also, um, the, the level of inhumanity and cruelty that was exhibited by this guy who is now rich and was let off the hook. That I think it it rocked Clark's sense of justice, and that was one of those unspoken things in this story that um, that still vibrates, and you don't know why, but it does. Um, you just you just don't like it. There's just something about this you really don't like, and I loved that there is a panel where Clark acknowledges the rage that he has. Yeah, he imagines and just he, frying this guy with his heat vision. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, he ad, he admits to himself that there's a part of him that is hoping that Kozlov will say something bad enough that will justify him heat visioning the guy off the face of the earth. But then he knows, I don't really hope that. And then, you know, you don't know. Um, you don't know where this, this story is going. And it goes the way of... Kozlov basically says, um, "Like many many villains do, you naive idiot, grow up."
0: Yeah, it, that that piece, that piece was interesting, right? Because I think, for as as Clark articulates, he I guess he's expecting, or at least would be able to to wrestle with either, um, a level of remorse from Kozlov or, or if he were totally unrepentant and that's you know, kind of what triggers that like heat vision, uh, you know, fantasy. But, you know, what you get is from Kozlov is kind of somewhere in between where it's like, he acknowledges it and he's like, well, we all did bad things at that time. Right. But it's not, you know, it's not really taking ownership or, or asking forgiveness or anything to that extent. So it's like somewhere kind of in the middle. And it's one of those things where, you know, again, for Clark, for all of the times he's thought about something like this, um, you know, this is kind of maybe somewhat, somewhat down the middle that it doesn't know what to do with it, I suppose. Whereas the other two responses, maybe it would be, would be easier to sort of, uh you know, take in.
1: Yeah. And, and that, that's the, that's the, the thing is, you know, Kozlov didn't say, you naive idiot, grow up, but it's the lesson Clark had to learn of, this is how things go. And not just sometimes, but often. And, I think, you know, he didn't know in this story what to do with it. But then as he's leaving, you know, there's a, some sort of police security vehicle that goes by him and and with a siren on. And right as he's thinking, you know, does anybody care about justice? Does anybody care about any of this? And he sees that and he just takes a beat and stops and says, I care. And the, the, the last thing you see is he's in this other country. He he has no legal right to act. But he's just seen evidence that there's someone who needs help. And in the midst of all of his doubt, there's one thing that he is sure of, which is, I care. And so you see him start to do the shirt rip. And we end with, no matter what the consequences, I will always care.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's it's funny because th- there there are so many, you know, sort of traumatic, you know, to, to put it mildly, experiences that the character has been through over all of these years. Uh, it, you know, just as a quick example, because this is I always think about this one, uh, you know, for early on in the Joe Kelly run on Action Comics, where he and Wonder Woman spent a thousand years in Valhalla fighting this never ending war. And of course, he eventually makes it back but like the idea that he could have experienced that length of time under those circumstances, separated from Lois and everyone else, you know, it's kind of staggering to think of just kind of settling back into his normal life. But, you know, I don't, it's not like I equate that with the character and the trauma that he, that he's overcome. Uh, You know, it's, it's not top of mind generally as I'm reading these stories. And that's why I think I was so struck by this because it's you know, it's eight months, it's not a thousand years, but there's this, this ugliness and realism to that. I think, I guess that's the thing that's different, right? Like the Valhalla situation is, you know, kind of in this otherworldly supernatural realm, whereas this, this is something that happens and it just so happened, it occurred to Superman. Um, So this idea that they could get the drop on him and he could be powerless and imprisoned and yeah, I mean, yes, of course. It begs the question: Why didn't the Justice League come? But maybe you know, whereas Superman disregarded those borders initially, maybe the Justice League, you know, for for whatever reason, you know, political pressure or or whatever the case may be, you know, didn't or couldn't take that step. And it's scary, right? Like this idea that what is he going to do? Can he get out? Um, but again, I think it's just that 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 realism and that that human ugliness to it that, um, mm-hmm. like, I guess I what I'm trying to get to is I never thought of this character as carrying this with him because I never knew that the story existed. (laughs) But as I'm reading this, it's like, wow. Yeah. I mean, that would, and I know that's a pre-crisis story and, and all of that, but it's like, yeah, I mean, if that is part of the character's history, it's like that would, that would, that would change the way I would look at the
1: character like that. He's carrying this with him. Yeah. And, you know, especially in those, you know, golden age and silver age stories. Um, you know, I grew up mostly reading the silver age and he had all these powers, like it was super everything. He had, you know, super hypnotism. He had super this, super that. There's a story here in the Red and Blue series where um, some school kids and their school teacher are at the fortress because he's invited them there. And it, it starts off by, by setting up, you know, the, the forbidden room with the, with the huge... Lock on it—the one part in the fortress that this this door stays locked all the time. No one, no one goes in there, and it doesn't tell you what what treasure is in there. But it is beyond valuable to Superman, and that's all you know. But the story opens with him remembering the farewell of Jor-El and Lara as an infant. And him looking up from the still open starship at their faces and listening to them talk. And in this version, Jor-El mentions that he thought that they still had four more years before Krypton's destruction. And that hit me reading it. Yeah. Because Jor-El saw, you know, he said, I thought we would have time to watch our son grow up at least a little. And I thought, wow. I mean, these these stories continue to find a way to to make this loss even more tragic. It's 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 not Marlon Brando who said, you know, we have 30 days or less. This was Joriel thought they had four years, and that's been ripped away from him now. But my point, which is you know, referring to your point um of the trauma, is that Clark is remembering this, and I I as a reader, I thought, does he have super memory? Is this one of those, like, carryover Silver Age things? Like, is this truly traumatic for him? Because he's remembering word for word that jor said he thought they had four years. He's not looking into the Phantom Zone. He's not looking into some time portal. He's standing in his fortress, just remembering. And we've never seen that part of him before that he has that capacity to carry this around like a movie that he can't stop watching. And for the first time, I thought, this is what Bruce goes through. This movie that just keeps playing and playing and playing at the time he lost his parents. And that's really one of the first times that I've ever been able to see that and make that connection of if this is true, he does have empathy for Bruce.
0: I hope it's not true. Like no, I agree with everything you're saying, but yeah, it's like, I don't, I don't want that for the character, right. To, mm. to have to continually relive that. It's uh, you know, a heartbreaking, you know, to consider that to be the case. Uh, a moment ago, I was just looking down, I was still listening to you, but I was just looking at the list of, of stories. Um, as we're getting deep into the recording here, I know we're not going to hit every single one or, or unpack everyone as, you know, thoroughly as I think we have been with, with these, but just to hit on a couple of things, uh, you know, it's funny, very Very recently we covered Stephen T. Siegel, his It's a Bird original graphic novel, and then his run on the mm-hmm. Superman title. And he has a story in here called Own, where uh, Martha's having lunch with the ladies at the diner, and they make a remark about uh, how she and Johnny, which uh, she corrects them at the end of the story, uh, you know, they they have this child, even though it's not their their own, right, their own child. And she has this... She launches into this whole thing about all the ways in which, uh, you know, he, he is theirs in, in every way, right? In terms of how she cares for him and worries for him. And uh, it was good. I have to say, I mean, I know we were a little a little hard on uh, Stephen T. Siegel and his run on the Superman book, but I thought this was a nice, uh, this was a nice vignette and a nice spotlight for Martha. Because again, I know we've been talking a lot and the stories that have had Jonathan and Martha, but, you know, definitely we've been a lot of these vignettes skew more towards the pa of it all. So I thought this was a nice one, a nice showcase for Martha. I know. Uh what other yeah, it yeah. really was. And it
1: it was nice to see uh it was nice to see uh the the Martha that you don't mess with that um she was not rude but she uh as as they would say said her piece. Yes. And um when when you when you get to see that Martha, it reminded me. I think it was in somewhere in Four All Seasons, um, or maybe it was in uh, uh, one of the reboots with the with the Gary Frank art. But there's a scene where Jonathan has somehow perturbed Martha, and they were about to have high and she tells him something like, "You can get your own pie, Jonathan can't," and just leaves the room. And Jonathan just sort of looks at at Clark, and you know, just shrugs like. <laughs> You know, and it's it's nice to see that Clark grew up with two strong parents. Yes, that knew that there is a time to say something, and when that time comes, you say your piece, you do what's right, and that he got that from Martha too. I loved this story because we got to we got to see that, and for half a second, the art I thought, is this lost Tim Sale art because the style had so much of of Tim Sale, and as you know, he's my favorite. Superman artist of all time. So I love this one on, on many levels. I know, especially when Clark, you know, who shows
0: up and he's visiting Smallville and he's visiting Martha and he shows up and he walks in, it, it really, uh, it really had that, that for all seasons vibe to it. It was Duncan Rolu. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, mm-hmm. but, uh, but yeah, that was, it, it, I love the art in that as well. I gotta give a quick shout out in the, the story with Kilgore and the Manhunters uh, fellow Mm -hmm. podcaster, Michael Bailey and his, and his wife are drawn into, uh, into the story. They're the two who are rescued. And I've, I've seen he's, it might even be his avatar on Twitter or it was at some point, but like, I've seen that image of him drawn uh, as a comic book character a bunch, but uh, just like that other panel we mentioned, like I never had the context for it. So it was so cool. And I had forgotten, you know, that this was where it was popping up. So as I was reading, I was like, ah, there he is. So that was a nice touch.
1: Oh, that's great. I love Michael. Um, I love his guest shots on uh, Superman Movie Minute, too. He's always wonderful.
0: Yeah, no, very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's been great. You know, we've podcasted together a number of times now, and um, that's great. He'll actually be on, doing the quick math here, he'll be on the next episode of another exciting episode in the Adventures of Superman, the George Reeves rewatch podcast that I'm doing. We talked about the Evil 3. Uh, we already recorded that and that'll be coming out soon. It was a lot of fun. And that's a that's a real standout season one episode from Adventures of Superman. So for anyone who's curious, uh, and if you haven't sampled that podcast yet or if you haven't been keeping up with it, that's a really good one to jump back in with. We had a lot of fun. So what other uh, what other vignettes that we haven't talked about do you want to at least hit on before we before we wrap up? And again, I just to say for the audience you know, if, if we haven't talked about your favorite one here, I'm sorry, there are a lot. I mean, we're, we're, it's, it's quite a few vignettes. and we've, we've covered a fair amount. I know we haven't hit every single one. So if this ends and we haven't, we haven't hit uh, one that you really like, uh, maybe we'll do a follow-up at some point. But uh, I guess, you know, in, in having this conversation, I was curious and I'm glad we didn't have as much of an agenda. Like I was curious which of the ones would come to mind, you know, the most, like which ones resonated with us? And I think that's kind of guided our conversation. And I've liked that a lot.
1: Uh, but yeah, what what other ones uh, do you want to talk about? Um, the, the Robert Venditti story, because, you know, he was another one like Tom King and, and Matt Wagner when I saw, oh, there's stories coming up, I can't wait. And um, I'm, I'm a little biased because he's a friend, but uh, when his when his story came on uh, in the order and I got to that page and I flipped to it and I realized that it was starting out and here's Clark and he's in Metropolis and I'm like, oh, okay, this is great. This will be fine. And I turned the page and it's Smallville and Clark's young and there's paw. And I went, yes, Robert wrote a paw Kent story. And the, the thing that I love about, about Robert's story is the same thing that I loved about, um, you know, the Jonathan Kent from Smallville and in some of these other times where you see the relationship where Jonathan and Clark are out running an errand and it's just the two of them, you know, they're not doing chores. They're not doing like they're out and it's father and son time. And in this case, they're delivering some supplies to another family in Smallville that has come on hard times because, uh, the, the wife is ill and, Clark starts out innocently enough asking, you know, can we spare the food and the hay and the the things that we're giving him? And Jonathan basically tells him that, uh, you know, when somebody needs you, you find it, you find what you can spare. And, and there's no small thing to give. Um, And that really resonated with me too, because like, you know, when we talk about some of my uh, visiting children and such, and the time that you spend with them, there is no gesture that is small to someone who is in need. There, there is no, um, nothing is insignificant. Nothing is small to someone who needs it. And so I'd love that that was the message here. And so Clark, uh, to his credit, quickly understands the lesson of, okay, Paul, you're right. And then he immediately switches tack and says, well, have we brought enough? And you have to love that aspect of, if this is what Clark's upbringing was like, you know, moment after moment after moment of this, I believe it. I completely, I completely buy into the man that Clark became. And Clark was even kind of questioning it uh, when Jonathan says, you know, other families are bringing things too. It's not just ours, but our small thing and everyone else's small thing adds up to enough, and Clark says, well, even so-and-so, because I thought he and, and this guy were fighting. And Jonathan just laughs like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that blew up. But, but in moments like these, that doesn't matter. And um, you, you then flip and you see how Clark is grown as Superman in Metropolis. And in this particular instance... There's something we assume really huge and heavy that he's holding up. He's just hovering in the air, holding it up, and giving the rescue crews enough time to come and get the kids. And it's not that it has a direct relationship with this memory of Pa, but it almost makes you feel like it just has given him time to think. And this is the thing that he's thinking about. But that idea that there's no small act. Um, this story unintentionally tied right into the other story where Martha said it's not enough to be bothered by something, you have to decide. What can you do about it? Um, and thematically, I just really loved how some of these understandings of the character were uh, realm consistent. And every time I encountered that, I thought, good for you, Robert, good for you, everybody who, who gets it.
0: Yeah, look, I mean, my my love of smallville not just the tv series but the setting that time period the upbringing with the kents i'm always there for that and i always love when you get to actually see and hear those lessons those pearls of wisdom from jonathan and or martha that that inform the character and account for why look this it's the fundamental question who would who would not abuse this power who would use this power just to help the way that he does and when you know the Kents and you know Clark, the person who was raised by Jonathan and Martha, that's the answer. And it all clicks into place. But again, it's the whole mm-hmm. show and don't tell. And so when you actually get to see moments like that, and you know, it calls to mind that, you know, the famous line, you know, the from the Marlon Brando's Jorel of, you know, they're great people, Kellel. They wish to be. And, you know, you see that echoed here in what Jorel and Jorel and what Jonathan is saying of like people fundamentally, they're good. They want to be good. And you know, Clark has the opportunity to be this example and to be this good neighbor. I think this idea of, you know, being neighborly, and I remember there's, you know, a Christopher Reeve interview where he was talking about how he sees the character, and a lot of it was kind of grounded in that idea of being a good neighbor, and Superman's here to help, and he's just able to do more, right? But again, you see mm-hmm. those values nurtured uh, in, in these lessons on the farm. Uh, so it's it, it's great. And again, once again, tying in with, um, with people helping people. So- uh, yeah, that was that, that was a that was a strong one as well. There's also, you know, we're t- mentioning some creators here. Mark Wade has a story. It's cool because yes. obviously now, as we're in 2023, Mark Wade has had this massive resurgence at DC Comics, and he's got his own little corner now uh, with World's Finest and Teen Titans and Shazam and all kinds of stuff. But uh, you know, this was a little bit earlier on as he was you know, kind of getting back into the swing of things at DC and he's got a, a very fun, you know, that's the thing too. I know we're talking about, you know, he's very, um, you know, emotionally resonant, uh, tear inducing stories. There's some fun stuff in there too. And I think Wade's is a really fun one where, uh, Superman goes to the fifth dimension to plague Mixius Pitalic for a little while, mm-hmm. uh, and give a little bit of a, a taste of his own medicine, but nevertheless, ultimately ends up helping Mixie to Mixie's chagrin. Uh, because I guess the custom there is when you're courting someone, you, you prank them. And so he tries, so Mixie tries to prank this other imp, uh, with, um, you know, a snake in a can sort of thing, but it ends up being just ordinary peanut brittle. And he realizes that someone switched it out on him and it was Superman, but Superman ultimately ends up explaining this and spinning it to this other imp and making it. Uh, you know, turning it around and saying, oh, the ultimate prank was that he wasn't pranking you. And she's all into that. And so, right. you know, this drives mixing nuts because his his one, the one saving grace of being plagued by Superman was this idea that, well, he you know, he was, he was kind of a jerk and he did this, but it's like, no, he ultimately still helped him. Uh, so I thought that was a lot of fun. And also the fact that in uh, saying his name backwards to return to, uh, to our dimension, it's not Superman backwards that he has to say, it's Clark Kent. So uh, that was a nice touch.
1: Mm -hmm. okay yeah yeah that was so brilliant in the same way that you know there was the story a while back where uh there was a trick that didn't work on batman because in his mind he was batman he was not bruce wayne yep and so that mental trick worked on everybody else except for him so the fact that that superman his real name can't be said backwards because bixie won't say clark kent um was great you had to have had the same sort of Bruce Tim animated vibe from this story that I did. Right. Yes. You heard the voices too, right? Of
0: course. Of course.
1: Yeah. Um, not just, um, Gilbert Gottfried, but Sandra Bernhardt, I was hearing both of them, you know, as, as this went on and, um, yeah, that was, that was a joy. Like Mark really knew how to play. Like it could have been an episode of the, of the Bruce Tim animated series and it would have, It would have stacked up there with Mixel Pitolated, which was the other one.
0: Yes, for sure. Then, you know, Mixie makes another appearance here in a far more cold-hearted turn in the Bizarro story for the man who has nothing, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, What was your take on that one?
1: Um, Well, I won't tease you about Bizarro being your favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Um, At least they didn't do too much backwards Bizarro talk in this. No, I, I didn't know whether... I didn't know where the story was going at first because it seemed like just a space rescue mission for a Mars rover until you realize um, that... Wait, we're talking oh, about... Oh, that's, th- so that's the... So ones. the
0: Francis Manipal one, that's the one on Mars, but I know I was referring to the one where it's Bizarro's birthday and he's seemingly right. being celebrated by the Justice League and showered with presents. And then uh, they end up all taunting him and, you know, he feels awful and it ends up being this ruse uh, uh, set up by Mixus Pitalik. And then Superman yeah, actually yeah, shows yeah, up exactly though, with right. with, a, with a, with a true birthday present and they have a nice moment.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, it, it was, it was very like, very Charlie Brown heartwarming, you know, you know, you imagine, you know, Charlie Brown throws a party and absolutely nobody comes. Um, and at the end, you know, one person actually does come. Only with this twist of in that interim where nobody cared about your birthday, you actually had someone give you these hallucinatory nightmares of you thought that you had a full party of people who loved you, but they were only there to laugh at you. And they were only there to tell you that you were worthless. And so you go from that low to the high of actually you do have a friend and he did come all on his own and he brought a gift and he does care about you. Um, That was pretty great.
0: Yeah, that was a nice touch. I liked it a lot. I did not get as much mileage out of that. Uh, the mars story with uh, with bizarre i'll be honest i had to read it a few times to even really <laughs> completely get what was going on there i guess the gist of it was that there was bizarre was on mars and there was also blue kryptonite that was allowing him to think clearly but he was trapped under it and it was killing him and then superman moves the blue kryptonite and he's saved but he's back to the backwards thinking was that the gist of it or i still might not have understood it
1: that was basically the gist i mean it was sort of a straightforward rescue there, there weren't too many layers. Um, the the other one psychologically had, had many more layers because you really do see that, that Superman wishes nothing but the best for Bizarro. And, you know, even in this small way, like just celebrating Bizarro's birthday, just to show him that he's not alone. Um, you can think, well, at the surface layer, Superman just does that because he's Superman. And, Um, but then you peel back a few and you realize that Superman very much knows what it feels like those days. He thought he was the only one like him in the universe. He has not forgotten that. And so, you know, everything else aside, all of the history of all the times bizarro has been confused or Bizarro's has accidentally caused a lot of problems. Still Superman knows on this day, I want to make sure he doesn't feel alone because I remember. So, um, the best Bizarro stories are the ones that are also Superman stories, and this is one of those.
0: Yes. Yeah, I mean, as much as I know we joke about it. i do not not the, the biggest Bizarro fan in the world. It's mostly, though, the backwards speak that gets me. Uh, once you take that out of the equation, I, I'm usually more on board. And there are some Bizarro stories. Again, we, we talked about the Superman the Animated Series, and I, I love that take on the character. And so uh, it's not that I dislike any Bizarro story. And I think I thought the one with Mixus Pidelik here was particularly effective. So, is there anything yeah. else, any last vignette that you you're dying to talk about that we that we didn't get to?
1: Oh, we we hit the majors and then and I made it through without choking up. But uh, uh, I I will say one of the things that I loved about the series was all the outstanding cover art yeah. the variations. And I mean, because we got Doc Shainer, we got I mean, we we got some heavy hitters that contributed to this series. Um, I mean, it's just worth it on on every level.
0: Yeah. I mean, I got to tell you again, I, I I wish I had actually cracked these open a lot sooner. I mean, thankfully it only came out a couple of years ago, so I don't feel like I've been sitting on this for too long. But uh, mm-hmm. what what an absolute delight to read these uh, and especially to talk about them with you. And I, I appreciate all of the passion that you brought to this. And it was great to have this conversation. And once again, if anyone hasn't read these, please do. And and I just, you know, I've not heard about any, any plans for any kind of follow-up. I, I hope we get some sort of you know, uh, additional volume of this at some point because I just think it's a great. that's I guess that's the last thing I want to say is that I, I just love the idea of this. I mean, it ended up being executed beautifully. But just the mm. idea of this, uh, and even even color palette aside, I mean, again, that's a nice that's a nice hook for it and everything. But just this idea of this anthology where you can bring in different creators telling these short stories that, again, have a different mandate and are looking at the character in a different way. Uh, I, I, just think it's, it's, it's great and valuable and I
1: would love to see more of that. So I'll leave it at that. Oh, hundred percent. I would never get tired of these. And, and I was reflecting, you know, on, on what is it about this? Because as, as I hope the listening audience is sort of grasping, like, remember all of these things that we've been talking about have been in eight pages. Yeah. You know, it seems so much larger, but truly they have been told in these, in this format. Um, and, and I think if I step back and I thought, why is it that I love this series so much? It's because, you you know, the, uh, the, the phrase like, um, integrity is, is what you do when no one's looking. Um, this is sort of a way where we get to see moments of Superman's life of how is he when no one's looking or growing up how was he when no one was looking or how you know it's it it makes his character so much more legitimate because these little stories give us those little moments you know clark at the diner right after his father died he didn't think anyone was around and then annie comes up and talks to him so she got to see superman when no one else was looking And she saw how he coped with grief and what, how is he going to possibly channel that? And like one person got to see that. And we got to see the story of that one person who saw that, that, that is the gift that these stories are. And I hope that in concept that these, that these things can continue to be told and continue to be given because um, Mm -hmm. now that I've read them, and I, I'm choosing my words carefully and I'm not saying them lightly. They have become a part of me. There are life aspects that I've gotten out of these stories that I cannot imagine not having been a part of me and not having gotten, you know, if they had never been published, like I can't conceive of that now. So I, I only hope that it can continue
0: Well said. And I think I had one more thing, (laughs) but I just think that, um, like a lot of the ideas, the dynamics, um, the philosophies that you see presented here, it's not that, you know, it's not that you never get them anywhere else, but they're often, you know, just again part of a larger story. Right. Whereas here, this was really the main thrust. Like this was really about the heart of the character and these, and these dynamics and, uh, you know, I, again, it's 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 great to have both kinds of stories, and I'm and I'm particularly glad that we got these where where you don't typically get this kind of showcase. Um, so, yeah, I, I would love to see more of this. But I thank you so much for coming on here. Uh, so, you are at Wearing the Cape on Instagram. Uh, is there anywhere else you want to direct folks?
1: Um, by the time this podcast is released, I'll have my newest article on the Daily Planet. Um, so that is uh, Daily Planet DC. And it's uh, part two of my story of the secret Hispanic history of Superman leading up to the new Flash movie where Sasha Call will be playing Supergirl. Um, She is not the first person of Hispanic heritage to have contributed mightily to the legend that we all love. And I go through all of the uh, known and very unknown aspects and contributions over the years. So uh, I would hope that people would go to uh, dailyplanetdc.com and and check that out.
0: Awesome, fascinating! I, I look forward to reading the entire series, and I hope our audience will as well. So thank you, Daniel. Thank you, audience. As always, I always appreciate you tuning in. Make sure you come back in one week for our next all new episode. It's about what you do. It's about action. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in the adventures of Superman. Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all.